Greetings and welcome to the Live Courageously podcast show. I'm your host, John Duffy, and this is my 58 Live Courageously show since I started the show about two years ago. Live Courageously has been the conscious theme of my life for the last three years since the beginning of the pandemic in 2020 and an unconscious theme for most of my life. Courage is resistance to fear, mastery of fear, not absence of fear. So let's meet today's courageous guests. A very special person is on my show today. Shi Van Fleet grew up in Mao's China. She spent her entire school years in the turmoil of the Chinese Cultural Revolution. After high school, she, along with all the urban youths, were forced to work in the fields for three years to be re-educated by the peasants. She was able to go to college only after Mao's death. In 1986, she came to America as a student to pursue her graduate studies. She holds a master's degree in English and library science, and in the past 30 years, she's worked in the field of information management. As a private citizen, she has never been politically involved. Like many Americans, 2020 had been a turning point for her, compelled by her personal experiences under Mao and the realization that the Chinese Cultural Revolution she lived through is taking place here now in America. She has committed herself to the mission of educating American people about the horrors of socialism, communism, and warning them of the dangers of cultural Marxist woke revolution that is threatening the country. Her book, Mao's America, A Survivor's Warning, was just released and is available in bookstores nationwide and on Amazon. I'm going to share a little bit of my experience that crosses with her because I was in China in 1978 leading the trip. But let's welcome uh, to, this, uh, to the show, she uh, greetings, she. Thank you for coming on the show. Well, thank you so much for finding me and inviting me to your show. Well, you've lived a fascinating life. I just uh, finished reading your book and I'm going to read it again. I'm going to write a view of it for Amazon. And, you know, how would you define, you've seen it from two worlds, the world of China, the world of America. Um, how would you define living courageously? What do you see that as uh, today? Well, that is a big question. What uh, to me uh, living courageously is to tell the truth. The truth is that I escaped communism and I thought I left it behind. Never in my mind that 30 years later, more than 30 years later, I found myself facing the same devil that I thought I um, left behind. Communism is here in America. Communism has successfully infiltrated every part of our country and threaten to destroy America. And because of my uh, experience living under communism before, I'm determined that I don't want to leave it again. Uh, I don't want the Americans to live under communism. So that's why I decided to speak up and to educate Americans that the horror of communism and that what we are facing is a communist takeover of our country. She, let me ask you, you've been, you know, you've been going out and I got to, I'm going to just put up a picture. You're, obviously your book is out. You've been out speaking about your book, Miles America here is at a, a bookstore, a picture of you. You've been out speaking with people about the book and what would you say? Do you think Americans and especially young college, high school educated Americans understand anything about communism, about the Cultural Revolution, about any of that history? Do you think they really understand it? They do not understand it. They are absolutely clueless of what 
it is like to live under communism, what communism is about, what has communism done to the people that um, they ruled over. They have no clue. That is the problem. And why they don't have no clue? It was not taught to any of those young people. And I'm not so talking about today. It's been decades. They were not taught. And that was by design. And that is communism can only survive on ignorance. And indoctrination is really to deprive the people um, the, uh, um, the sense of history. And that's how they can survive uh, communism. So today we are really dealing with the uh, um, information. It's an information war. And so we're dealing with ignorance. And uh, the only way to wake up people is to teach them the real history. And that's what my book is intended to do. If you don't mind, I'm going to play a real short two-minute video. It's not, uh, you, you're going to be able to explain it much better than they are, but I think it'll give the viewers a little bit of a visual idea of what the Cultural Revolution, because we're going to be talking a lot about that, what the Cultural Revolution in China was and what it did for your life and all the other young Chinese people at the time. But let me put this real on quick, and then you can come back and comment on it. Yeah. Um, just let me... Uh, Um... On 16th of May 1966, the Communist Party of China issues a directive. The Cultural Revolution begins as a decade-long political campaign. It calls for a purge of capitalist influences and bourgeois thinking in the government, teaching, media and arts. A huge personality cult of Mao is at the center of the revolution. While other party opponents are removed from the office, Mao's wife Jiang Qing and her close associates are given important posts. Mao's quotes in the Little Red Book are made compulsory reading. With themes such as correcting mistaken ideas, the quotations become the standard by which all revolutionary efforts are judged. A youth organization called the Red Guards springs up throughout the country, preaching the teachings of Mao. The Red Guards travel all over the country, smashing the old culture, destroying much of the cultural heritage. They spearhead the interrogation, humiliation, and beatings of teachers, intellectuals, and traditional enemies of the state. 16 million young people are sent to the countryside for re-education and physical labor. Tens of thousands of officials are accused of being traitors, counter-revolutionaries, and capitalist stooges. President Liu Xiaoqi is expelled from the party and dies a lonely death. Marshal Lin Biao, Mao's named successor, flees the country but dies in a plane crash in Mongolia. Mao's wife Jiang Qing and her close associates form what became known as the Gang of Four. They push the leftist agenda against more moderate voices within the party. In September 1976, Mao Zedong dies. The Gang of Four are arrested, and their plot to control the country stopped, marking the end of the Cultural Revolution.
All right. Well, that was just a short little video for people who don't understand anything about what it's like, but you lived it. You were, uh, how old were you when it started? Tell us a little bit of your story under the Cultural Revolution. Yes. yes. Yeah. When the Cultural Revolution started, I was in my second semester of the first grade. I was just turned seven. And so I was not a participant of the Cultural Revolution because I was too uh, little, but I was an absolute full-time observer, a witness of the Cultural Revolution because the school was shut down soon after the Cultural Revolution started because the teachers and the administrators were ousted by the kids. So there's no school. So the only thing we, uh, we could do is just every day went to the street and to witness the whole cultural revolution unfolding in front of us. And what, what, did, what did you observe? I know in your book you talk about it because you see you know, everybody gets caught up in it. Everybody wants to be part of it. Everybody wants to be part of, of this special group that's being formed, the Red Guard, the Little Red Guard. And you're observing that amongst all your friends and family. Uh, how did you see it personally, uh, you know, from the, in the middle of it? Yeah, I, I think any kids that, um, I think as young as uh, 11 or 12, become part of uh, uh, the Red Guards because that was such a cool thing to do. And you want to be part of that movement. You want to be part of that, uh, as, so, uh, just like today, you just want to be part of the demonstrators. And so that was uh, um, something that a lot of people just, uh, just young people just wanted to join, but I was just too little, so I was left out. Um, but I could see what uh, was uh, happening. And also the, uh, everyone, everyone was caught up in it. My parents were hardly home because they were caught up uh, by the Cultural Revolution in their workplace, doing exactly uh, what uh, happened in school, ulster those in power and then denounce them. And then you have to do uh, self-examination, make sure that you are on the right side, that you are stay in the right lane. And so I think to a lot of people, they probably don't understand um, what was going on. They just, everybody was in a survival mood. Not everybody, most people. They just want to make sure that they will be in the, uh, um, in the, um, the right lane so that they don't get into trouble. But um, that was such a chaotic. A lot of people choose the lane that's supposed to, uh, and later turn out to be wrong and then become the target of the, uh, the uh, Cultural Revolution and the target of the Red Guards. But that, that little video did not really explain the reason of the Cultural Revolution. So can I just... Uh, oh, yes, please. Yeah. That's why I, I, I just showed it, because I know you have an understanding that was just very superficial at, at best. So, yeah, yes, because, please. yeah, because that is still kind of uh, confusing for people that know nothing about the Cultural Revolution, why there's such a thing as Cultural Revolution. So Mao, in his life, um, launched two revolutions. One was the uh, Marxist, the classic Marxist revolution against the sitting government that was using military force, use, uh, using violence, and uh, it's, it's pretty much a surrection to unseat uh, government. That was uh, the uh, Chiang Kai-shek-led nationalist government. 
So they succeeded in that. In 1949, they took over China, kicked the nationalists to Taiwan. That's why we have Taiwan and China today. So that was typical Marxist revolution, just like the Bolshevik revolution in Russia, using violence, using military uh, might to unseat a government. So 17 years later, after Mao and the CCP got power, Mao launched another revolution. This time, it is a cultural Marxist revolution. The goal is the same. The goal is to overthrow a government, a sitting government. Only that this time, the government is his own. And the party he wants to overthrow is his own, the CCP. Why? Because he feels like he's losing control of his own government. He's losing control of his party. He feel like uh, he need to destroy everything uh, uh, that belong to the past, including the past of the CCP, to really establish his own version of Marxism, Maoism, as the supreme uh, ideology of the land. So he want to accomplish two things. He want to destroy everything, burn everything to the ground, destroy all the institutions, um, those are CCP institutions, and destroy 3,000-year Chinese civilization, and in the process, take the power out of the hands of the bureaucrats of the CCP and put his own people in. So for that, he did not need an army. He had another army. Those are the indoctrinated youth who would answer his call, who has been conditioned to follow his order, and they were the Red Guards. They did what Mao wanted to do, to take down the government, to take down the power of the bureaucrats. And that is what the uh, uh, Cultural Revolution wanted to achieve, and uh, that's what happened. I hope that makes sense to your uh, listeners. No, I, I, I think you just covered a lot of history from 49 to, to that phase. And, you know, interestingly enough, and this kind of eventually we'll get back to where we're dealing with today, but, you know, the, the Cultural Revolution and what was going on in China was obviously uh, affecting China mostly, but it was spread throughout the world as well. So just yes. like today, uh, young, uh, all the universities, all what, what the communists called the petty bourgeoisie, um, you know, middle class, privileged people throughout Europe, throughout America, were kind of caught up in the fervor of what Mao was doing with the Cultural Revolution. So that was spreading through radical groups in America, in Europe. Uh, people were following it and wanting to be part of it. So not only was it a China phenomena, it was a worldwide phenomena. And I remember at me as a teenager, this, uh, you'll remember this, this is my little red book, the same one I had since I was seven, 17 years old in the Bronx. This is uh, the book I picked up. We were all reading this and studying it. And I actually, as a high school dropout, I used to lead study groups for lawyers of the National Lawyers Guild studying Mao's little red book. So here we were, you know, uh, being influenced, thinking that this was the path that was gonna change the world. And that was the influence that um, was being promoted worldwide as well by um, a Mao's Cultural Revolution. Yes, absolutely. And in my book, I actually, in my book, I describe this uh, very, very unique phenomenon. 
while the Mao was launching his uh, Cultural Revolution in China in the uh, mid 60s to mid 70s, there's also a Cultural Revolution taking place in America. And uh, so that is uh, counterculture. Very similar. They are all Marxist revolution and they have the same goal to destroy the past, to destroy the foundation of the society and replace it with something new. In China, it's a more radical version of uh, uh, Marxism, which is Maoism. In America, it's to replace American funding uh, principles with Mark culture Marxism. And, and America, and we'll talk about that a little bit later, America, just like other European countries, were influenced by Marxism. Marxism, you know, and we'll put up a picture real quick of Mao with other, the leaders that he followed, which was uh, Marx, Engels, Lenin, and Stalin. And then, of course, he took it to the next level of uh, Maoism, which was in, in China, with Chinese, um, uh, uh, what do you call it, cultural... Characteristics. Uh, characteristics, that's the <laughs> word I was looking for. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Correct. So... He, you know, he was now the great leader. He surpassed all of them. So a lot of the radical movements in Europe and America started to go down the path from Marxism-Leninism to Maoism. To Maoism, exactly. And, and that was, you know, for people who don't know. So on the surface, uh, you know, like the pictures I put up and you saw in China, you know, there was all these rallies of uh, the Chinese and that was supposedly gonna make a, a brand new world, a better world, get rid of the old. You talk about it in your book, the four, the four old. things that, uh, and, and you can explain that. that yeah, the four olds. So here we just have cancel culture, but in the Mao's uh, uh, cultural revolution, we have something uh, spared that out for us. That is four olds, old ideas, old culture, old uh, custom and old habits. Everything that is traditional, everything that is Chinese, basically. And people have to understand, um, this is a colonization of, uh, uh, of Chinese society and Chinese culture. Then they imported this alien culture called Marxism and then replaced, it, um, replaced the Chinese uh, civilization. So it is really a colonization. And it was ideology. Yeah, the ideology of Karl Marx, and that became now the ideology that was going to dominate China and dominate the, the, the history of China going forward. And, you know, on the surface to us and to me, and we'll get a little bit further into that, but, you know, uh, and in China, too, the young people are the most uh, manipulative. Yes. You can manipulate them real easy because they tend to... You want things to be perfect. They want utopia. Young people always love that idea that you can have a perfect world where there's, there's no, nobody suffers, there's no poverty, there's no, nothing wrong. And that's what the leaders of the movement appeal to that, uh, that young people's naivete, you know, being naive. And that's what China did. But there was the other side, which we didn't see. And you talk about so much in your book, but what happened when the Red Guard started they were going to make things better but what really happened did they make them better did they did, did they create a better world and i think your book tells us a lot about you know uh, what really went on um and this is just i'm going to put up a picture here's just one of many this is what you talk about in the book of what they did to um take down the educators take down the people who were above them in society and and, and tell us about that you know, what, what, what was the horror that really occurred under the Red Guard? Yeah, the, really, the, uh, what the Red Guard did was uh, destruction. 
destruction of everything and challenge everything. What、uh, was considered the norm now have to be challenged. Sound familiar? What was uh, uh, the old way of doing things have to be challenged and de destroyed. So.、Um, They the, the the first thing they were told is to get those in power who want to take us back to capitalism, get them out of their power. So as、uh, as kids, as、uh, as students, who do you think they turn first? Who are in power in their eyes? Of course, the well, their teachers. Yeah, the teachers. Right. Yes, and so that's what they turned against first. So I really want to.、Um, um, Let the、uh, indoctrinators of、uh, you、uh, um, of our country. You are now in,、uh, indoctrinate our kids, but you have to learn le、uh, lesson、um, history lesson as well. Who goes the、uh, as the first target when the kids really started to、um, to take power and、uh, and 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 turn against their enemy? You will be the one. You will be the first one to go, and so that's what、uh, exactly what the、uh, students did. The Red Guards did is、uh, turn against their teachers, and、um, and, and, and their administrators and principals, and then they go after others. Well, you, you know, you、uh, share so much of how that happened in China and what specifically, but it, you know, it's what the Red Guard was was destruction, destruction、exactly. of. Of history, destruction of culture, destruction of all the things that kept society—the family,、uh, religion—just destruction of, of all the things that held society together. And it wasn't just obviously the Red Guards is unique phenomena, but we saw that in Afghanistan with the Taliban destroying、uh, yeah. ancient things. We saw that in、um, in Cambodia, Kampuchea, with the Pol Pot regime, where they destroyed uh, uh, the culture as well and and killed their own people. So that phenomena. It, it was in China in a in one form, but it's a phenomenon that leads to destruction anywhere it exists. It's a virus. It's, yeah, it, it, it's a virus that destroys. It's not a virus. It's a, it's in the it's in the DNA of Marxism. Yes, it's absolutely there, and it will come out in different forms in every communist regime. Every there's no exception. They cannot coexist with the past. They have to wipe out the past because their goal is to replace everything with their own, which is Marxism. So this is absolutely happened to every Marxist revolution, including right now going on in the, in America. They have to destroy.、Uh, destroy. Well,、uh, you know, once again, it's it's、um, that need to have total control because at the end of the day, that's what Marxism is. That's what it is. It's, it's power. It, it, it's power. It, re it replaces one class supposedly of、mm -hmm. uh, oppressors with them, and with they them, become、exactly. the group. They become the group that is now in power, has all the benefits, have all the wealth, and now they're the ones who oppress the people. So it, it's just a change of you know, get rid of one group, take it over for yourself, and now you're the ones who get to oppress everybody. And that's kind of what happened, even though、um, that wasn't what we thought was going to happen, was it? I mean. We thought it was going to be something different. Well, the problem is、uh, too many people don't know.、Right. They don't. They never learn the history, and they don't know. They just by reading, by reading, or by uh, uh, just uh, you, uh, looking at the words they use: communism, communal, sharing, right, caring and sharing, and it sounds all good. That's why communism has made such 
advance in uh, in, in a, uh, uh, the history in the past few uh, uh, past century is because it was so appealing to a lot of people. I think to uh, people for different reasons. There's some that want to uh, want the government to take care of them. They want free stuff. Those are just one group, one group of people. And in China, those were the peasants that they supported Mao's revolution because Mao promised them uh, free land. And also Mao attracted a huge number of intellectuals, including my parents. They all joined the revolution. They abandoned their family. They're all from a well-to-do family. They abandoned their family because they want to do something for the oppressed people. They want to do something good to liberate the oppressed people. It all sounds great. Okay, so what happened? That's the part of the history. People don't know what happened. What happened to those who want free land? They end up have nothing. They end up um, have nothing and be told that they own everything because everything is collect, uh, collectivized. So the people own the land. Who are the people? It's the state. And nobody owns anything. And how about those intellectuals? Those intellectuals join the revolution. What happened to them? They become the suspicious um, enemy of the state uh, because they're from good families. They're from where-to-do families. So they have to spend the rest of their life prove that they're loyal to the revolution. So everything that ended badly for everybody except those in power. And even those in power, because the, po the power structure is so unstable because it's not through a democratic process, it's uh, it's power struggle. So it's never stable. So it's just like a, we see that intro, the BBC intro, it's like a constant power struggle. So the number two, the number one victim of the Mao's Cultural Revolution is the number two CCP figure, the president of China. Liu Shaoqi, he was purged and he was basically persecuted to death by uh, denying medical treatment. So he died alone, died a miserable death and he was a loyal communist. So communism is good for nobody. Not even uh, those people. Well, I remember at the time too, as I started to become uh, disillusioned, um, I remember, and I may not, I don't know if it's exactly true that he said it or not, or it was just a, a quoted to him, but uh, um, Zhou Enlai, who was number three in the power structure in China, um, never wanted to be number two for the, exactly the reason you're saying, because the number two guy always, always. ended up either in jail or dead or something like that. Exactly. So he always. always tried to stay a little bit behind, even though he was a true believer, um, he also saw behind the curtain what the reality was. And, you know, so he kind of played a different role in China because of that, because he never, luckily for his own life, if he became number two, they would have killed him. Um, most well, you know, he, he died um, um, He died of cancer because Mao denied treatment to him. So he died pretty much the same death. And uh, so there's no one end well, no one. And yeah. Mao? No, no, look at Mao, well, what happened? Okay, he was the winner of the power, uh, the power struggle. As soon as he died, his widow was arrested and sentenced to uh, sentenced to, to death, and then delayed, and then and then he, she committed suicide uh, in prison. So it's an endless, endless power struggle. And here is here's a picture um, that's of them on trial, uh, mm -hmm. her and the gang of four, and this was after right before the end of the Cultural Revolution when Deng Xiaoping came back in, and yeah. then the gang of four 
uh, was put on a trial and then ended up, um, like you said, so his wife uh, and the gang of four ended up. Now, I told you, you didn't know this about me when we uh, started the show, but you know, uh, we, we kind of crossed paths in a very uh, weird way because in 1978, which was two years after the end of the Cultural Revolution, um, I led a trip, I was 26 years old, I was still a high school dropout, and I was a leader of a Maoist communist organization in America, and I led a trip to China um, right after the Gang of Four was put in jail. And so that's, uh, these are just some pictures of me over there. This was on the border of North Korea at a Korean autonomous area. Um, this is, I believe, it was with the mayor of Shanghai, and um, this was at a factory that you know we were taken to at the time, and we got to go to the the museum and see Mao's body, um, uh, you know, at, as well. So here I was going over there, a true believer in what now I call the religion of communism, and thinking that it was a utopia, and uh, you were at that point just finally getting back to go to school because you had been yeah. uh, out of go school for many many years, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I thought it's interesting. So you were a communist by choice. I was a communist by birth because I have no other choice. Everyone born in uh, Mao's China is supposed to be a communist. So, but here we are, we are all anti-communists. Well, it's, I like the way you just put that, communist by birth and communist by choice. Um, <laughs> and uh, very true, right? And, and you yes. know, for me, you know, it was, I thought it was a utopia. I was a poor kid. I was in poverty. I dropped out of school. Um, and so I thought that, you know, the world needed to be better and this was the way it was going to get better. Um, but luckily, I, I say I was blessed that I started to see behind the curtain and start to see the reality. You know, I didn't get to see, you know, the torture and the stuff that went on in China. I didn't get to see that but I got to see things that I just saw that was problematic. And, and I started to question. And then when I, once you start questioning, that's when you start to have the ability to think. And I think that's the big problem for young people today is that they're trained to not question. They're trained not to think. They're, they're trained only to hear what they're being told and believe it and not believe anything else. Now, I also think uh, uh, what happened to you is that you are honest person. When you see something that does not agree with what you're taught, you start to question. But you took the step to go there and to look, and then you see something that is questionable and you start to question. But a lot of people just never, they never go out of their comfort safe zone, the so-called safe, the safe space. They never even hear the other side of the argument because they were never given that opportunity to hear the other side of the argument. You know that during the Cultural Revolution, a group of uh, uh, black Marxists went to China and seek the uh, support of Mao, uh, Mao Zedong for their so-called civil rights uh, fight, fight for the, um, the equality of the black people. They were there, they saw worse than what you saw because they went there during the height of the uh, Cultural Revolution. They refused to see what in front of their eyes. They can see that the uh, Chinese people live in extreme poverty. They could see that anyone can be taken into prison or take out to get shot if the government did not like what, uh, what you say or what you uh, thought. But they refused to, to do that. 
So they are not honest to themselves. So they see you and him and them see the same thing. But one, like you, question, the others refuse to question. Because they already bought into the ideology and they do not want to the reality to change their mind. Well, you know, one of the hardest things I think for people to do is to admit, especially when, you, when you, to, you're wrong or yeah. whether you believe, belong to uh, the Chinese, uh, the communist movement or you belong to a cult or you belong to anything where you're told to not think anything else, to admit that you were wrong, especially for, you know, for me, for how many years was I wrong? A long time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so to, to do that, you have to be willing to be courageous and be willing to tell people, you know, I was wrong. Yeah. I, you know, I was wrong about, you know, I, the, my instincts, my uh, wanting to do something good was okay, but I still was wrong. I went yeah. the wrong path to get that. Just because you want to make things better doesn't mean if you make them worse, you made them worse. You didn't make them better. So yeah. it's admitting, you know, what the reality is. And it took, a, took me a while to get there. I mean, you, you asked me earlier before we came on, uh, one of the things that got me really to open my eyes was there was some... Cambodian students that we were friends with in New York and they were supporters of the Pol Pot communist regime and they were college students and they were asked to go back to Cambodia to support the revolution and they did they went back to Cambodia and when they got off the plane they got killed on the runway by the government because they were petty bourgeois yeah. so that kind of gave me a reality to say wait I thought the communist um you know, whereas uh, it would not do that to the people who support them, but it gave me a, 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 a definitely opened my mind to the reality of what was real. So that happened uh, um, that you learned that uh, from the media in America, right? What, that they got killed? Well, we learned it through our circle uh, of friends. Not, not from the media. No, no, no. Not yes, see, 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 that's no, the problem. No, no, yeah. never from the media. I, I know that, uh, that that is the problem that uh, they control. The, uh, they control the media. So that's why you ask me about cultural revolution. A lot of people ask me what I thought. I thought nothing. I know, don't know anything. Everything they told me is what I get. And then all I know is that I need to stay in the right lane. I uh, stay loyal to Mao. And that's how um, that I did not even think of that how to be safe. But that's the way it, and that I should be. So because I was totally indoctrinated, I had no access to any other information, but just add on to the story uh, of your, uh, the Cambodian friends you had. And when uh, the CCP took over China in 1949, they asked all the people that were uh, scholars or students uh, in the Western uh, countries, especially in the United States, to come back and uh, to help to build new China. Many, many people, uh, believed them, and many people went back. Now, zero of them ended well. Many of them uh, died in the process during the Cultural Revolution or even before the Cultural Revolution. Zero of them survived well. And that's exactly what happened. Uh, the same thing that you described to your, uh, your friends uh, who want to go back and support the new Cambodian uh, regime. Communists are the same. That, that, I mean, that's such a powerful thing. And, and once again, you know, in your book, you, you, you talk about how young people don't know it. You know, everybody knows in our educational system, the horrors of, of the Nazis, the horrors of the fascists, 
They're taught that in school. They, they understand that. Nobody would defend that. Um, but they're never taught the horrors of communism. They're no. never taught the, whether it's in China, whether it's under the Bolsheviks, whether it's under Pol Pot. They're never taught the horrors of that, not even a iota of that. Yeah. So you, unless they go seek it out themselves, they don't know. And I know myself, I went back to school when I came back from China and I got my GED and I went to college and I happened to be in a library in, at, at my university and I'm just a curious person. So I found these books that were called the CIA's fact books on, on communism and I started to read them and that blew my mind because now I started to hear the other side that I had no idea. No idea. And like you were saying, all those people in China under Mao who were number two, who were, who were killed, they started talking about all that. And I'm like, really? Wow, I, I didn't know that. So now it opened my mind to question further, to say, okay, what else don't I know? What else am I ignorant about? And that led me on a journey to start questioning. And that's kind of what taken me to today, that if it wasn't for that, and, and it was a little bit of luck and a little bit of... Uh, you know, God's blessing or whatever, just put, put that, gave me that chance to start being a questioner uh, even deeper. So, but you, you went on, there's so much I could cover with you, and, and obviously we're going to have to do one more show or more shows, but your, your, your book is excellent. I can't uh, recommend it enough to people because you cover so much in the book, both in China and then your journey. So tell us about your journey from, you went back to school in China, you finally got in with the Cultural Revolution ended, you, 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 you found a way, and that's an amazing story, how you found a way to get um, educated. Tell us that and then how that got you to America. Yes, um, let me go back to my beginning of my education. And sure. I only had one semester of my first grade, which I consider somewhat normal even though it's full of indoctrination, but it was not extreme. We still have reading uh, textbooks that was just a kind of a very uh, nice nursery kind of rhymes that uh, you know little kids would uh, read and remember. And uh, so it's kind of normal. It's something about nature and things like that. And uh, so that is the only thing, the normal education I got. And uh, supposedly it should be K to 12, right? It should be 12 years of education. Mao cut two years out of it and said, what's the use of education? More education is, uh, is not going to help to, uh, uh, to build socialism. So he cut two years out of it. So we only had 10 years um, compulsory education. So after the cultural revolution started, the school closed. So I lost two years. So the uh, 10 years of education, I lost two years, and then I only have eight years. And the remaining years of my education is nothing but pure indoctrination. We hardly learned anything academic. And so after we came back from the school, it's nothing but uh, there's no textbooks. So the little red book was our textbook for a whole year. So we read from beginning to the end and started over and over. And uh, so... When I graduated from high school, and I was only 16, because they cut two years out of my education. So it's 16 what I do. There's nothing for young people in, uh, in cities because uh, everything was destroyed. No jobs, no nothing. So we were sent to the countryside to, to, to be re-educated by the peasants. So that's what Mao told us. So I worked in the fields for three years, hard labor, primitive uh, work, 
And uh, I get no education. The only education I got, the real education I got is uh, see firsthand how socialism did not work. It won't work. And um, so 1978 was an important year for me, the year you went to China. That was an important year because that was the year that uh, actually in 1977, Deng Xiaoping opened it up universities. During the Cultural Revolution, it was uh, uh, first it was uh, shut down, and then later when it opened up, it only uh, the only qualification for going to college is your political qualification, and you have to be recommended by your party party boss. So it's 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 you go there um, to really to get a uh, continuous indoctrination, and so. When they opened the university after Mao's death, and they opened um, the uh, admission uh, process, that means you have to, this time, you have to take an examination, a past examination, before you could go to uh, college. So I, I took the examination in 1977, and I failed because I just forgot, I hardly learned everything and learned anything and then after three years in countryside, I forgot pretty much everything. So I failed. So, but um, I'm, I was determined because that seemed to me the only way out for me. So I uh, studied very hard to make up what I haven't learned in school. So in 1978, I was able to go to college. That was such an important year for me. Wow. Wow, and, and, and it's just such a weird coincidence that was yes. the year you got into college, and that's the year I ended up there, thinking that that was a great place. <laughs> Little did I I know uh, what the reality was at that point in my life. But um, so then you you went to college and you um, got through college, and somehow an opportunity arose because of your effort, because of your perseverance, to get an opportunity to come to the U.S. How did that happen? Yes, and um, I I studied English. In, uh, in college, after that, I was given a job, um, given a job, okay? And back then, you, you could not choose what you want to do. You were told what to do. So, but I was lucky to get a job in uh, teaching um, training college. And so in the early 80s, you were the early one, but uh, even then, I haven't seen any foreigners um, in the uh, 1970s, 70, 79, but uh, early 80s, more for, uh, foreign visitors come to uh, come to China. So a group of uh, American uh, come to teach in my school during the summer. So those were all, uh, organized by churches, and this they sent people just uh, to come and and teach English for like a, a three months, two months during the summer. And there I befriended uh, an American lady. And uh, so she later helped me to come to get an assistantship and come to study uh, in America. So I came here in 1986. And, you, and you, when you came, you came to, uh, uh, what was the state that you came to? Kentucky. To Kentucky, wow. Yes. Well, now, I, I, I gotta ask you that. What a change that had to be for you coming from, and like you, like you said, when we went in 78, you're right, that people had not seen much Americans. We were one of the first uh, early uh, groups. And we went to one area, I think it was near the border of North Korea. And when we got off the bus, the people started 
grabbing our arms and trying to scratch the skin off because they just thought we were aliens because our group was made up of every nationality from America and they had never seen any of that before, not on TV, not in, in papers, nowhere. So the, the, the police had to get us back on the bus so we wouldn't get harmed. Not that they wanted to harm us on person, you know, for any reason, they just didn't know what to do with us. But uh, you're right, but when you came, what was that cultural shock? You're, you grow up in China, you grow up under the Cultural Revolution, and then you come here. Well, uh, uh, describe that, I can't- I Actually, um, since my college years, things started to open up. And uh, we could uh, get uh, information from uh, uh, such as uh, um, media, such as the BBC and the Voice uh -huh. of America through short video, uh, 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 radio, short wave okay. radio. But that was a uh, offense punishable by death during the Cultural Revolution. Wow. Yeah, then we can, we, can, we and then we start to have foreign uh, teachers come to on campus. The first group was a family uh, from uh, Canada. And so it's a, it's a couple with two uh, young daughters. And just to see them, even though they only taught us uh, the graduate or senior uh, classes, I never was able to uh, take a class from them. But just to see them there, it, it's, it, it's a, a really a sign of uh, opening up, a sign that there is a world out there. And then I, I can start to learn about it because before I, we know nothing about uh, America. And uh, eventually um, foreign movies start, started to be available and some of the American movies were shown. Uh, it's, it started with some old Hollywood movie, um, and uh, but later we started to see the the uh, uh, modern movies uh, from uh, from America, and I remember uh, seeing Star Wars, huh. and I, that just beyond me. I I, I I I did not understand all this concept. <laughs> but there was one movie that really made an uh, impression on me. It's uh, on the Golden Pond. I think a lot of people have never heard about it. Do, do you know that movie? Yes, I do. Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, I don't remember the stories, whatever, just to see how Americans live. It was uh, uh, really interesting. And so I have a friend, a very close friend, and that become, she was like a, a dreamland for her to have a house on, uh, on the pond or, or, or lake. So when she came here, she realized her dream. She bought a vacation home on the lake wow. just because that movie. And so I, I do remember that I said, wow, what kind of life they live and what kind of life we live. And then that looked like just really um, paradise. Yes, well, what a, you know, what a difference. And I, and I think that's the thing, you know, it, it's in both directions. You know, if you've never been experienced um, what's going on here, you only know what you know. And for Americans who, who grow up in such incredible wealth and privilege, they think they have, no they, know, they have no clue what the majority of the world experiences and how bad it is in so many countries. And so everything that they do is just based on you know, wishful thinking and just, you know, uh, nothing that's based in, in common sense and in reality. So it's like from both directions, unless you know and get to experience it and see behind the curtain, then you know, is it real or is it not? You know, is yeah. it, you know, if, if they tell you America's evil and we're, then you, you don't know, you believe it. And then you come here and you see and you say, well, that doesn't match with your reality. And that's the thing, it's like, if you get a chance to, 
ask that reality. And you did. You you came here. You be you you know you worked here. You got educated, and then like your uh, introduction says, you know you really weren't active. You were just you know a, a parent. You're uh, doing your job, doing what you do as a citizen. And then in 2020, life kind of changed, um, and you started getting active around issues because you store stuff that was affecting us that kind of reminded you of what you experienced in a uh, communist China. Yes. That to me is actually I start to see uh, troubling signs here and there, um, and it started as far back as the early '90s. But nothing was so troubling that I I I just started to lose uh, sleep over them. So I see things and I can just let it go, sure. and but it's getting worse and worse. And then eventually, when I saw what happened in 2020. And I just told myself, that's, that's, there's no doubt about it. This is a full-blown cultural Marxism um, and a cultural revolution. And it just remind me everything I experienced in China. So that's when I started to speak up. Well, you know, in, in your book, you know, you, you say, um, uh, and one of, the, uh, one of your quotes I got is, history has shown the world over and over how so many socialist ventures have been object failures victimizing people and leaving a country in tatters, chaos, or teetering on ruins. Um, but however, no one who ever advocated for socialism has got the memo. They don't have a clue. I, I just think that's such a, uh, so true. Because, you know, I, 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 if I could give myself a little bit of a, a, a pass, I could say when I was uh, 26 years old, I didn't know how abject a failure socialism and communism was. It hadn't failed in every country on the same level that it has today, obviously. Now we've seen it fail everywhere. Every country, everywhere, Cuba, yeah. Cuba, North Korea, China, Russia, all the Eastern European countries. Where has there been a success? Nowhere. It's been and, a total, total failure. You can, you can see actually different countries. There are some full-blowing communist countries, such as North Korea and China and Cuba. And also there's a lot of countries implemented socialism, such as India. What they got? They got decades of extreme poverty. And there's many, many countries like that. And all this should be case study. And uh, to teach the Americans that socialism and communism lead people to nothing but misery. And also, you know, the people don't know, these young people, they are here, they are just social justice warriors. They're going to fight for the marginalized people. They're going to fight against this and that. They just go to the street and demonstrate. Well, they have no idea. If you do that in a communist country, there's only one place they were sent you to, gulags. You can't even have a demonstration. But of course they don't know that. No, and they don't, you know, like I recently saw a documentary a couple of weeks ago called Beyond Utopia, and it was about uh, people being rescued out of North Korea and a family, and they took them on a 3,000-mile journey through the forest, through other countries, to get this family out of there. And when you see the horror of what that is and what people are willing to do to get to freedom, and, and like... It was interesting, the grandmother, when she finally got to freedom in South Korea, it took her a couple of years before she let go of the fact that North Korea was paradise, even though she had nothing, she was starving. And, and, but they, she was brainwashed, and eventually she started to see reality. And young people, they need to see those kind of stories. They need to read your book. They need to 
listen to the people who experienced it so that they can gain real knowledge, not what they think they know because they don't know anything. I know. They, I think the problem is not information. The problem is how do we get to them so that they listen to the information? They, they absolutely now uh, constrained in this safe zone by the, uh, the, uh, the left and indoctrinators. They don't even, so in, in, when I was in China, I did not know a lot of things, but it's because I couldn't. Right. All the information was controlled. Everything I was allowed to, to, to have um, is from one source, that's the CCP. But here, information is available. It's one click away. So I think the, uh, the American uh, communist Marxists, they did a much better job. They conditioned the kids or the young people that those people don't even want to go just have another click to say what other side was saying. They, they don't want, they, they absolutely just want to stay in that little zone that confined by the, uh, um, the indoctrinators. It's just absolutely amazing. It, 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 and and it's, they're absolutely uh, afraid to hear an idea that's different than their idea. That, you know, because I look at it, because I've been on all sides of, of the uh, spectrum, you know, I realize that there's no idea that I'm afraid of. I mean, there's nobody I can't talk to and have a conversation with because nothing scares me. What's, how can I be scared of someone else's idea? I, I can disagree with it, but it ain't going to scare me. But these people are scared to hear anything that's different than theirs. And, and that tells you the weakness of who they are and how they've been conditioned to be weak, to not be strong, to not think, to not at least be able to engage with people who have a different point of view. Why not? Yeah, that is part of the uh, indoctrination is conditioning yes. the, uh, the, uh, the people. And that's not just the kids. Not Today it's not just the kids. And, and, and just uh, people around me, I can see that the young were indoctrinated by their professors, by their teachers, and some old people, you know, well, uh, they, they think the same. And what happened to them is the mainstream media. So on both sides, they captured the old and they captured the young. That is you, the real problem. And you, you say, how do you change people? And, and I, I don't know, I don't know if anybody knows knows for sure, but I had an experience where I, I, it kind of gives me that's probably maybe the only way. I did years ago, I did some training videos for the US Marine Corps and we took teachers and guidance counselors to go watch the Marine Corps kids get trained to become Marines. And we had one guidance counselor from New Jersey who hated the military, hated the Marines, thought they were baby killers. And mm -hmm. that's what he told us before he came. And he came down and he got a chance to watch them train. He got a chance to meet these young men and women and at the end, when they graduated, we had a camera on all the different people and he was crying like a baby. And we went over to him and said, what's going on? And he said, I can't tell you how wrong I've been all my life. And to his credit, he was somebody who was willing to change. But if he didn't have that experience and if you just had a conversation with him, you'd never change him. He never would have been able to just realize that he was seeing something that wasn't true. So he had an experience and it opened his eyes. It's almost like you got to give people experiences, and how do you do that? I wish I knew. <laughs> I wish I, I I wish I knew. Yeah. yeah, that is absolutely the problem that we have trouble getting to them. Yeah, and so that's why I really want to uh, go to college and go to high school and talk to the uh, the uh, the people. And I have contact 
a few um, high school um, teachers who teach either history or government. And we're talking about group a few uh, class together so that I can go there, tell them, they educate, educate them the history that they never learned. Now that would be really great. A friend of mine directed some movies for this group um, called Victims of, of Communism. They have a, a museum and you probably yes. know it in Washington yeah. DC. And he, he interviewed, part of his movies was he interviewed different people from different countries who escaped communism and, and, and let them tell their story on film. So this way people could watch these and get you know, a, a reality check is to this. Look what this person's telling you. They are not making this up. They experienced it. This is their personal experience. I know. I think so. for that reason, I do think that I have a special mission because I tell the story not because I learned something uh, by reading a book or do, do some research. It's absolutely from my lived experience, which is what uh, uh, the left uh, worship, right? Le lived experience so so this is my lived experience so i, I do think that uh, uh people who lived under communism should really really speak up we have a special mission we are we are here we choose to come to this country and we choose to escape communism because we believe in freedom now this is our turn to really to pay back the country that really take us in so we have to tell the story. We have to retell the story and keep the stories alive. That's how we uh, really, um, what I call deprogramming those uh, indoctrinated kids. So Hillary Clinton was correct. We need deprogramming, but deprogramming, not the conservatives, but those radical, radicalized, radicalized young people. And it's a different, it, you know, it, it, like you said, it, it's having a dialogue with people to get them to hear other stories. It's not like, you know, communist programming where you, you, you put them in re-education camps like in China and yeah. you basically uh, beat them and terrorize them until they tell you th that what you want them to say, whether they believe yeah. it or not, because what choice do they have? If they don't say yeah. it, you're mm -hmm. going to keep uh, brutalizing them. That's their version of re, uh, of uh, reprogramming or deprogramming is basically brutalizing people to agree with them. That's not what it's about. It's about getting people to think and get uh, people to hear stories and hear the truth of real experiences like yours. And you're right. I think you do have a mission. I think you uh, your book is just part of it. And um, I think there's a lot more there and you're going to continue to do all that. So that's the other side. I think people need to hear your story. When I when I saw you online and started seeing some of the things, I was like, yeah, I got to reach out. I got to have this conversation with you. And I'm glad I did. Um, and I Me think too. we're going to have yeah. a couple more going forward. So Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And I recommend everybody to get your book, Miles America. I'm going to put it up on the screen. It's in all bookstores. It's in Amazon. It's uh, You can get it online. It, it's definitely, we only touch the surface of what's in the book barely touched the surface of what's in the book but what you covered you know both the chinese experience and your american experience and the lessons you learned and the warnings that you have for us for the future you know with i mean i i went on you're familiar with them this is a uh, a show that i was on with epic times uh, i did a show on cancel culture and you talk about that in your book you talk about so much um you know how they destroy religion how they destroy the family um all the different elements. I mean, there's so much in the book. I recommend it highly to people who want to have a real deep understanding of what's going on um, 
in the cultural wars and in uh, what's going on with communism in the world today. Anything you would like, thank you once again, anything you would like to finish on, anything you would like to leave us with, any message, and then um, I'm sure we'll schedule another time and then we'll go a little bit deeper into this uh, journey together. Yes, yes, I, yeah, and we talk about a lot, but I do want people to really get the book and read it and share it and uh, um, really tell the people you know and this is actually the best way. Instead of arguing with them, you tell them, how about uh, listen to someone uh, else who actually experienced the uh, um, communism and listen to her. And I think in a way, it's, it's a, a better approach to reach out to people that in your circle, in everyone's circle of influence. And so the importance is, is to wake up America. So only when the Americans are, wake, uh, are waking up can we push back and defeat communism? She, thank you so much. Thank you for being part of the show. Um, I had a, a great time with you. And like I said, I had a great time reading your book. I'll be reading it and doing a review on Amazon for it. I recommend everybody to pick it up. Um, if you're around speaking anywhere to go hear you speak, um, if, you, if any group has, you would like to invite her, reach out to her and invite her to come speak to your group. Um, and let her share the message even further. So thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you, John. All right. Have a great day. You too. All right. All right, everybody. So I hope uh, that message came across to you, a very courageous woman, a woman who's speaking out and sharing great experiences with everyone. So please get her book, uh, Read Miles America, and join us next Sunday at 2 p.m. for another Live Courageous um, podcast. See you then. God bless. <laughs>